we've we've had comments because some timber framers will see our home and they'll see like our metal brackets a true purist person comments say like i am deeply offended <laughs> by the metal in your home welcome to the tiny house lifestyle podcast the show where you learn how to plan build and live the tiny lifestyle I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 140 with Clara and Edwin Bobricki. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I love to feature new and innovative ways to build tiny homes. Well, today I'm featuring something that could be considered a very old way to build a home, timber framing. Clara and Edwin Bobricki not only designed and built their timber frame tiny house, they also cut down all the trees and milled the lumber for the entire frame. It's no easy task, but Edwin and Clara will break it down for us so that we can learn what it takes to build a timber-framed tiny home. I hope you stick around. The holidays are right around the corner, and you may be wondering what to give the tiny house enthusiast in your life. Well, it's not too late to get a copy of Color Me Tiny, my inspiring and relaxing tiny house coloring book featuring a variety of tiny houses on wheels and the beautiful nature that surrounds them. The images all come from real photos that highlight the broad range of tiny house shapes and sizes. Each featured home also includes an interior scene to show what it's like to live in a tiny house day after day. Color Me Tiny is just $9.99 and ships quickly direct from Amazon. To learn more and order your copy, visit thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color. Thanks and happy coloring. All right, I am here with Edwin and Clara Bobricki. Edwin and Clara decided to break from the norms of modernity that were set out for them in 2015. They wanted to find another path apart from assuming a large debt to get the life they wanted. Although the path wasn't easy or a shortcut by any means, they wouldn't have done it differently. They cut their own trees, milled their own wood, and carved their own beams to create an original timber-framed tiny home that they could call truly their own. They now live nestled in the woods of Northern California, where they tackle new challenges they haven't seen before like managing their own power, growing food, and chasing off bears. Edwin and Clara, welcome to the show. Hi, Hi. thanks for having us. You're, you're so very welcome. I just want to compliment you, first of all, on just such a gorgeous tiny house build. It's so full of light, and the timber frame really just adds something really special and unique. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, it was fun. It was a long build, but it was very fun to build. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't we um, just start um, with the real basics? Because, um, you know, I love to, to let my listeners learn about different ways of building a tiny home. And, you know, I think timber frame is something that we hear kicked around a lot, but not everyone necessarily even knows what a timber frame is. Um, so could, could we start there and just say, like, what is a timber frame? Yeah. I did not know what a timber frame was until I was exposed to it firsthand. Um, and yeah, uh, so essentially what a timber frame is, is it's, it's a more primitive way of building. 
So when you think of like a lot of the way when people first settled in America and, and came over, like what were the structures they were building? Most often they were actually building timber frame structures. So what what we see today is like stud framing, right? You'd, uh-huh. You use a bunch of two by fours and you hook, you, you make your wall and then you stand up your wall. Well, with timber framing, you're actually starting with big beams mm-hmm. and you carve pockets into the beams and then you, you carve corresponding tenons into other beams that slip into those pockets. So then you end up fitting these beams together like a blocks of Legos almost. And then what keeps them together is you drill a hole through the pocket and the tenon and you drive a peg, a wooden peg through there too. And um, so even though it was considered, you know, it's considered primitive style nowadays because hardly anybody uses it because it's not very practical to build that way. You don't, it's not as fast. It's considered more, you know, pretty and exotic. We're not used to seeing it anymore. Right. Yeah. And it does have, it does call to mind like old cabins or like I think of like a a ski lodge with a big vaulted ceiling and and timber frame. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it sounds like you not only, um, you basically don't use any fasteners. You you basically are fabricating your own fasteners out of wood to hold the whole structure together. Yeah. So with like a true purist timber framer, like some some uh, we've we've had comments because some timber framers will see our home and they'll see like our metal brackets um, that have uh, some you know big uh, heavy bolts through them, and they're like. I think we had one person comment say, like, I am deeply offended (laughs) by the metal in your home. So, like, we're not where we didn't go full, full true. But I mean, the. The hammer beams and everything, I mean, the majority of it is true timber frame in the sense that, yeah, it's only held together with the wooden pegs. And I think the true testament to whether or not it was a true timber frame or not is how much you suffered and (laughs) i think the suffering level was you know very very high so i think we can like honestly claim like no this is a true timber frame like we have evidence look how much we suffered trying to build this well i apologize it sounds like you've you like stumbled into another group of purists because there are definitely like tiny house purists that will decide like a certain size equals a tiny home or you know, it has to be on wheels or it has to be this or that. Um, and you've got so, so there are purists there and now you've got the timber frame purists. So you just can't win. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> true. <laughs> it's totally true. So is there when you're doing a timber frame, you know, like when when we stick frame, which I guess is the mm-hmm. closest modern uh, relative, you know, will frame 16 inches on center or 20 inches on center or 24 inches on center. Is there something like that in timber framing? Like you are trying to have a vertical stud or I guess that's not even, what do you call those verticals and do they have to be spaced a specific amount? Yeah, so totally, actually. Um, it, I think it actually, that really comes down to what your space you're trying to create. So the one of the, there's a lot of advantages with timber framing, even though it's longer and harder to build. You can create very, vast big open rooms so like one of the examples you brought up is like a ski lodge when you walk into a ski lodge you might see that 
and yeah, you can create a lot of space. You, so you can create these, you know, high ceilings and lots of space, but then that needs to be engineered. Like how big does your beam, how big does your truss need to be for that? So typically there's no one standard to follow that again, that's why stud framing's more convenient. You can kind of just, you know, go, go with a, you know, typical standard and get that. Um, for us, you know, we're clearly overbuilt in here. We have, you know, more trusses than we need. And because we're n n novices, we were new when we took this on. My, my instinct was, okay, let's overbuild because we don't have the experience to, you know, say where the line is exactly. So I'd rather overshoot, work a little harder, overbuild it, make sure it's a little, um, you know, maybe it's over, you know, too strong rather than not strong enough. Got it. So. How how heavy is it compared to a, a stick frame? Is it is it heavier or lighter? We did calculations as we were building, and we kind of came to the conclusion that it was roughly the same. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, besides, I mean, it was a little hard to keep like weight um, documented and everything, but when we were doing the calculations with the amount of studs we would have had to put in, versus the cedar beams, which cedar beams are actually pretty light comparatively. So that was a huge weight saver. We also, because we were doing timber framing, we were able to use three by threes for other studs. So we were able to go lighter on the studs that we actually did use. Oh, um, you mean just for some of the framing for our doors yeah. and stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we didn't stud frame between the bents. So we actually just did singular beams that tied in from one bent to the next mainly to do our doors to put our in windows. our doors and yeah. windows so a bent is like one kind of cross section like almost like a truss mm -hmm. exactly okay so what what is in between each bent inside of your walls is it like is it a sip is it like like how do you attach your interior walls between those timber frames and what kind of insulation is in there right so um the uh we're this is a, sorry a little sidetrack so i'm building another timber frame tiny home with a team right now and we're using sip so sip paneling goes really nicely with timber framing they, they work hand in hand really nicely together and you can use like a lighter sip that doesn't have as many studs in it so we do like how that pairs um when we built ours however we couldn't afford that like we were on a really tight budget so we ended up going a more affordable route, in which case I sheared everything. So the whole frame was up and then we sheared it with plywood all the way around. And then we put in studs like, so like she was saying, a three by three stud for like a header of the door that tied this beam, this vertical post to that vertical post across and then studs coming down. And then we packed insulation, which we just used insulation board and glue. So everything's very like sheared and tied in and tight together. Interesting. Okay. So it's, it's sheathed just like a, a quote unquote normal house. Um, do you need to sheathe the timber frame? Like, or does it have its own sheer rigidity without sheathing? It definitely has a lot more sheer naturally built into it, especially the way we did it with our, oh, we tied in, you know, big plates that go around too so there's a lot of that naturally already but yeah you definitely need some sort of you know plywood shear level as well to really 
stick it all together. Got it. Also, the plywood helps a lot with um, tying in the roofing and everything else we needed to tie into the house. So having that, we yeah, that was very helpful. In like the sheetrock afterwards. In the sheetrock. Yeah, that was the main thing. Yeah, we went with like quarter inch sheetrock on everything and um we were able to just like glue the sheetrock i I looked up because usually you screw sheetrock in and because i knew we were moving it and everything i was curious if anybody glues sheetrock and i looked it up and sure enough yeah you you can glue sheetrock too so we actually did a combination of glue and screws for sheetrock and um and then clara came through and mudded and did the skip trial method on everything which was just for us, we really like that combination of like, a, you know, the skip trowel in contrast with the beams to kind of pair well together. Nice. Yeah. It, and, and I encourage everyone who's listening to, to go to the show notes page for this episode. There'll be lots of pictures and I'll, I'll give that address at, at the end. Um, what is the um, what's the overall length and width of the house and, and how heavy is your trailer or like what? what weight rating is your trailer yeah so the uh the trailer itself is 24 feet it's uh on a standard hitch so it's not a gooseneck and it's eight feet well eight and uh, i mean our whole house is eight and a half feet wide okay so we went those are the those are the limits in california is um the eight and a half feet and is it two two axles or three two axles uh the trailer is rated to fourteen thousand pounds Okay. And have you ever had it had the house weighed? We never did. We we really wanted to actually. And um yeah, I did a uh, we did a lot of things to make the house lighter and um and when we towed it over here, we had to go up hills, down hills and through some bumpy roads and the, I mean we we pulled it with a 1 ton truck, uh pickup truck, but there was zero issues that we could see. Great. So Let's I want to back up and start from the start, because I know that, um, you know, you've mentioned milling your own lumber and um, I want to ask you about that process, because, you know, for most of us who are DIY building a house, it still feels like a daunting task. But we, you know, we take our truck down to the lumber yard and we order, you know, we order sticks, we order studs and sheathing and we can start building if we have a plan. But but you two started by chopping down trees, right? Yeah, so the way we kind of got introduced to milling was a really good friend of ours in 2015 lost his house to a fire up here in Northern California. And we reached out to him because we knew he was preparing to rebuild his house. So we kind of made this agreement that he would teach us how to build. And... um and then we, in turn, would help him rebuild his house. So the main thing was for his house, he was also doing timber framing. So that's how we got introduced to timber framing in the first place. And in order to do the, the post and beams that he required for his house, he needed to purchase a mill for himself. And because of insurance from the fire, he was able to get a brand new wood miser mill. And so it was a very cool hydraulic mill to work with. It wasn't your standard mill where you had to roll everything by hand it was a really nice mill so we we helped his build his house and we learned how to mill on um through that and then for our beams we were pretty seasoned millers by that point so just yeah using the tractor to get the logs and milling it was actually pretty straightforward by that point 
So what does the mill actually do? You're you're feeding in a log that you've you've stripped the branches off, but the bark is still on it, right? Mm-hmm. And so like then what does it do? Yeah, so basically there's a a big circular blade at the beginning and it's actually on a hydraulic system. So you're able to push this blade forward and backwards. And attached to this blade, there's actually water that feeds onto the blade to help keep it cool. So there's this carriage that moves forward and basically this circular blade is like a monstrous blade and just cuts right through the log. And you're able to create the measurement that you would like to cut. So there's a ruler on the carriage so it can go up, down, and forward. And so basically you just start by shaving the bark off. You just take first this big layer of bark, go all the way through the log, then you take that bark layer off. And then you're able to rotate the log and then you just kind of keep shaving down until you get a cant, which is the usable part of the tree. And then from there, you're able to get dive into the measurements you'd like for your posts and planks and everything that you need. So what what dimensions are are your posts? They're all five by fives. So the cedar posts and because we were going tiny, those um, measurements were able to work for us and the cedar was very light so for us it's actually pretty perfect the dimensions yeah i i think we were yeah it was a trial and error to find out what size we wanted but this ended up being just about right and it's funny because if we went we couldn't buy true they're true five by five so we couldn't buy true by five by fives but since we had access to our own lumber we're like oh we can make whatever we want let's yeah let's make it this That's awesome. And they, they're just beautiful too. Um, the way that I've noticed, like you almost carved some details into them. I don't know what they're called, but up by the peak of the, of the ceiling, there are these little diagonal pieces that have like a nice kind of tapered hmm. thing uh, going on. I don't know what the right the, word is. The arch bracing. Arch bracing. <laughs> yeah. Arch bracing. Okay. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, Edwin, I have to give props to Edwin. He spent a lot of time on SketchUp designing different um, layouts for the beams. And um, this one definitely caught our eye when he made it. We were both really excited about this specific design. Nice. So so once you mill those beams, so we've got, you know, we've taken our cedar logs, we've shaved the bark off, we've cut them down to the size that we want. Um can you just start using them right away or do they need to, do they need to cure or dry or something? Yeah. So we definitely dried. It's, it's always nicer to work with dried material, but there is another advantage with timber frame. When you, when you tie the beams with the wood together, you can work with wet wood. And the reason is once you tie those beams together, not only are they helping keeping that beam from twisting, if they do start to dry and twist a little bit, it's all wood working with wood on itself. So the, the joints can actually lock and the, uh, the whole structure can become a little more tight and a little stronger, right? And if you have like a wooden peg going through and then this one starts to shrink and this one shrinks a little bit, that peg will actually get tighter over time if you, were, if you started with wet wood. Very cool. So it actually, it, it's a structure that gets stronger over time instead of weaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there like a significant like settling in process? Like, were you worried that like drywall might crack while this happens or is it? (laughs) Um, Yeah, my biggest concern was when we put the ridge beam, the ridge beam we put in soaking wet, like we all of our cedar, the cedar already dries really fast and 
Oh, that's another thing to keep in mind. Uh, note. So, sorry, just just our situation. We're not actually cutting down. None of the trees that we cut down are alive. They're already dead from the fire. They got burned out. But um, but the lumber inside of them is still good. So they're just standing black trees. And I don't know if a lot of people realize that. We didn't realize that, how good all of that lumber is still. So these trees need to come down anyway. So we, yeah. So, and the, the land that we worked with, our friend, our family friend, Paul and Deb, who we helped build their barn for, for in trade, they have like 200, 250 acres out here in the woods. They've just been making, the, they're an elder couple and they've been making their lives out here for like the last 30 years. Wow. So it was just a really, yeah, special arrangement that we got to make with them and that we just happened to know them and it worked out like when we first decided to make a tiny home you know i just figured we it was going to be a stick frame i didn't know any of this was going to be possible but this is just kind of how that opportunity lined up for us so we kind of naturally fell into this without knowing it was coming but sorry where was i so yeah so as far as the work though a lot of people underestimate when you cut down a tree, you have to, there's a whole process to that too, right? First of all, you have to know what you're doing. And then cutting down dead trees is actually a little bit more dangerous than live trees because you don't know if there's a lack of integrity in the wood itself. Did, did some fire actually make it in? Is it weak in there? Is it going to buckle on you? Is the top going to break and fall on you? You know, because now it's dead and it's been dead for a while. So there's a little bit more concern that way when you're cutting the dead trees. And then, uh, but then you cut them and then you have to do this process called bucking, right? Which you go down the tree and you take down all of the branches that are sticking out. So you get them right down to the, the, the log itself. And then you, you know, measure out how much of that log you want. Our mill can only cut up to 20 feet max. So, you know, the longest thing you're going to do is 20 feet, but you know, you might be up in a hill and you don't necessarily want a 20 foot log because you got to bring that down to the road get it onto your tractor and get that tractor, you know, a lot of times we're carrying them horizontally. So a 20 foot log isn't practical to go back up the road and get it to the mill. So for us, like we actually, I think our, our go-to length was like more like 11 feet because it was very quick and practical. We could get two or three logs out of one tree pretty easily. But yeah, it's just funny. That was, that's a process that I feel like even we miss sometimes when we're trying to like, decide what the value of the lumber that we're making is like a lot of times we forget all of that work it took to go out cut the tree down bucket and then get it to the mill just to get started yeah how long did that whole process take like how long were you milling lumber before you started actually you know assembling and and carving those joints and and putting up the frame we um, did all the beams first, so we cut all of our beams, and then we let them sit dry for a few months mm-hmm. um, before we actually started working with them. Yeah, it's hard to tell too because the main the main work that we were doing for Paul and Deb um, with their barn to help them build their barn was mill for them too. So we milled all those beams. So like between Claire and I, I mean, we've probably milled over a hundred trees by now. So it kind of got mixed in with there. We basically milled on our free time mm-hmm. and then we went back to working with them, helping them. Yeah. But yeah, it was it, it was a bit of a process. 
But uh, I mean, we're a lot quicker at it now. Like I said, I'm I'm building another one right now with a small team of um, carpenters, and we're we're just flying this time comparatively. I mean, when Claire and I built ours, it was like it was new. It was just us, really. I mean, our friends we could get friends to come help us here and there, but it was mostly just us trying to like wade through the water, not sure what we were doing, and then we only had our weekends to work, so it definitely dragged out when we were working on it. Yeah. So how long did the overall build take start to finish? Uh, about three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, no, if you start. Well, the actual building, we always kind of go back and forth on this. So we were dreaming up for a good, I don't know, half a year. Yeah, I just I just actually did the timing. You can ask him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look back and it's like we we have first started milling for our tiny home. And then to the time we were done was um, a little less than two years. Wow. So not I mean, not terrible, not much. That's about as long as it takes like a DIY build if you're only working weekends, too. But it sounds like you put in some serious sweat equity, um, both in the. <laughs> Both in the milling and then also I'm I'm curious, like when you're actually erecting the frame, you know, these beams, even though they are cedar, I'm sure they're still pretty darn heavy. Um, do you have to use like a crane or a tractor or like is there some way that the two of you were able to like lift these beams into place? Um, yeah, uh, we we use a lot of heavy equipment. It's called our our friends, <laughs> um, our friends and family. We en- we enlisted them out here, and um, for like the raising for a timber frame is considered a pretty special event, right? Because you've done all this work prior, you've made all of these beams, and then standing up the frame, it's just a really pretty and beautiful thing to look at, and so you see all your hard work, and it's just this fun kind of camaraderie of a day and it only takes a day to stand it all up right so you've been working for many 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 days to get to this point and then like suddenly in one day it's all up and you're looking at your finished work yeah we had a big frame raising party we invited edwin's sister edwin's two best friends and then our mentor paul and we had edwin's family come out so it was this big event we did a barbecue for everyone and then so we assembled the bents first we uh, tied everything together and then we each then they actually welded plates onto the trailer and then we went one by one and then all of us yeah would hold the beams until one person would um tie them into the trailer and then we did a big group photo afterwards it was really fun it was very satisfying <laughs> to get the frame finally on the trailer i'll bet and actually that's i was it's exactly what i was going to ask you about next the the attachment of the frame to the trailer and then, you know, do you just frame like a traditional floor with, you know, two by four or two by six joists in between the two walls that are attached to the trailer? Yeah, we actually tie it. So the, the, I wasn't sure. So how did you how did we tie in the yeah, how the do beams? you how did you tie the beams to the trailer is the first question. And the second question mm-hmm. is, how does that interact with with the floor? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so um, it, it's funny. A lot of this is actually kind of fresh because I'm I'm working on putting together a time lapse video of our whole build. But we put the beams in before we did anything with the trailer floor, except we did weld metal brackets, like Clara was saying, um, uh, just basically angle iron. So each post just fit perfectly in its own little pocket. 
So they could actually, once we fit them in, it was really satisfying. It was like ka-chunk, and then it, the whole bent gets locked in, and, and you could let it go. I mean, we were watching it, of course. And then we do these um, tie-downs that screw into the backside of the post, and then it's a bolt that drives down into a hole into the angle iron that we made, and it, it pulls that whole bent and post down, basically per- permanently affixes it down into the trailer. Got it. And then how, you know, because typically like in stick framing, you know, you, you frame a floor and then the walls attach to that floor. But it sounds like your walls go all the way down to the trailer and then the floor is kind of in between them. Yeah, we basically, we had two, it was two by threes, three by threes that we screwed into. Oh, the, no, two by threes. Two yeah. by threes that we screwed into the trailer to act as like almost the ties for the rest of the posts that were the two by threes that would go across. So we did a good handful of two by threes went going across. And from there we put the plywood on top of that. And then, then the insulation, then another level of plywood. We did a lot of insulating and plywooding throughout this whole thing. Yeah. We bought our trailer from a tiny house company. Um, Joshua with Tiny House Basics and yep. our trailer is a uh, the bed the I guess the metal joists of the trailer that go across we we bought a drop down so they were th- they started 3 inches lower so we could do our flashing and our flooring on top whereas a lot of people will come and flash the bottom of their joists underneath but our research of that looked like that was kind of a nightmare for a lot of people so we chose to go a little easier route with that. Nice. I guess you, you, I'm sure you've learned a ton through the process, but um, are there some things that you would do differently were you to build your tiny house again? <laughs> That's a dangerous, slippery slip. <laughs> we start going there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we think about this sometimes. It's kind of hard now because living in it, we just love it so much. but. The build process, if we could have done things differently in an ideal world, we would have had enough savings so we didn't have to work while we were building the home. That really was a big, um, that would have been a big time saver for us if we had enough just to buy our own time so we didn't have to like, you know, make money for bills and that kind of thing. But that being said, do you have any? Yeah, Yeah, working on the weekends definitely dragged the whole thing out. But um, one thing that's funny about yeah, what we would do differently is, you know, we're halfway through. So after we built this, my best friends are also carpenters. They helped with the build a lot too. And basically we all got together and we're like, hey, you know, people are interested in this. We should try to build another one and sell it. So we're halfway through that second build. And it's all about now implementing the things I would do differently. Um, one thing, for instance, is like we have SIP panels that we're using. And then uh, some of the layout, we're making like a a permanent stairway up into the bed. I mean, it's kind of interesting because we wouldn't actually change our the way our stairs work. Because like even this morning, Clara did like yoga in this eight by eight. We, we have like an eight by eight dedicated floor space in this tiny, which was like a really at the time, it felt like a really silly endeavor to like reserve a whole blank space of floor basically inside an already small space 
but that ended up being so functional for like the way our long five foot drawers pull out and getting to our drawers and then we can pull the ladder out and tuck it away it just became such a multi-function very practical space it makes living in here extremely functional and it was funny and when we were first designing it, i was just like oh no this is not practical at all Turns so out in funny. short we wouldn't change our layout we would change mostly how how long it took <laughs> if we had the savings that would have been mm-hmm. ideal but as far as our layout and everything like that we're really happy with um how that turned out awesome well i'm glad to hear that it's i think compared to other tiny house dwellers you have you have relatively low regrets because everyone has regrets <laughs> yeah yeah we regret how much our solar costs that's also been a <laughs> we are just hitting getting hit with living off grid and um we just had no idea the costs that were going to go into our solar system so producing power for our tiny home <laughs> yeah why don't we why don't we talk about you know your, the other systems in the house because you you live completely off grid right mm-hmm. yeah yeah so let's start like so you are on solar power and is that you know, what what do you need to power with that solar power, I guess? Are you using that for for cooking and cooling and heating or do you have other other systems? So we're using our power right now for our lights and for the fan in the bathroom. Um, We also have an induction cooktop that we could use, but quickly we realized that we were going to need to add supplemental. um, we needed to add propane to our cooking setup because the induction cooktop was taking a lot of solar. So right now we all, we use the solar for our fan in the house as well. We have a big swamp cooler. So those are the main things that we use our power for. Our fridge runs off of uh, direct current from the um, solar panels. And um, we have a propane heater. We have a composting toilet. Yeah. yeah, so I think what we kind of rushed in here. So we only have a pair of 300 watt panels that are powering our house. Our main function, of course, is the lights. And then when we first moved in, we thought we could get away with just the, that, those panels and four deep cell 100 amp hour batteries to get away with cooking on the induction cooktop. But that turned out that was too taxing. So we ended up installing a propane cooktop underneath that slides out as a alternate form so we still actually have our induction so if we want to we can have like five burners to cook on we really needed it nice and and what are you doing for water that's been a fun one so um since we're completely off grid we were yeah and like edwin said we rushed in here we needed to kind of figure out a water system right away so the way we did that was we got a 300 gallon um 250 sorry 250 gallon tank right outside the house and we've been trucking all of our water in from our friend's well. So our friend Paul and Deb has been letting us, yeah, get water from them. But this winter, we're hoping to tie in to this creek that runs during the rainy season. So there's a creek right outside our house that, um, that we're hoping to send piping down into. And then we're going to pull water from there, have a filtration system. And then ideally, we'll have um, all the shower water and uh, dishwater that we could possibly use. Right. This is one of the few properties in the whole area that actually has water rights to the creek. So that's a really special thing. So trying to utilize that in some way would be really cool. Cool. And where you are, are you going to experience freezing temperatures in the winter or are you pretty comfortable with like because the the water tank outside 
Yeah. <laughs> so we live in a pretty mild winter climate. It's not, um, we maybe get snow once a year. So it's, it definitely drops down. Um, like when we try, first try to use water in the morning, I'll try to do dishes and I just, the water heater doesn't kick on right away. So it's really, really cold water. Um, but yeah, we should be fine. We'll, we'll be interested to see how this winter is. We've already spent half a winter here doing this lifestyle. Um, so yeah, we'll let you know. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So how, how long have you been living in the house now? So we moved in, we started the move-in process in January. So we moved the house officially in December, end of November, December of last year. So almost, we've almost had that house here on this property for a year. And then we kind of officially moved in completely in February and then lockdown happened. So it was a very convenient time <laughs> to be uh, first moving in. <laughs> so you got in right in the nick of time. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, we got the mandate. Everyone go isolate and we're like, uh, we're already doing Can that. do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. And so um, we were chatting a little bit in the, the pre-interview, but. Um, you know, one one question that people are always asking and just always interesting to hear about is, you know, how did you find your parking spot and the land? This was actually uh, really fun. We just realized this. A friend uh, kind of made this point. So one of the drags when we were building our house, like, well, when we first had the tiny, tiny home dream and to start building, we both like did like one of those like dream boards kind of type thing and individually just to see where we were both at and we both concluded that we wanted to live in a tiny home in like a meadow surrounded by trees like we're pretty clear like that was our ideal setup mm -hmm. but we didn't know how we were going to get to that point we just knew the first start which was how we were going to get started on the build and then the tiny home build ended up taking way longer than we expected you know we thought by the time we set out to do it, we'd be done in a year. And like Claire was saying, once we had the commitment to do it, it ended up being like three years later before we were actually in it. And a friend just pointed out the other day, though, that if it hadn't taken that long, the opportunity for this property, which was a spontaneous thing that basically became available right when the build finished for us, uh, showed up. And it was just a uh, basically a coincidence. Yeah, we had a, our friend Paul and Deb, it goes back to them. They really set us up for mm -hmm. success. They had a friend that lived about, yeah, 10 minutes from their property. Everyone in this area knows their neighbors. It's kind of one of those types of small very small rural town type uh, community, which is really nice. This um, couple that own this property, the husband passed away, unfortunately, but so the woman, the wife, she wanted this property to go to someone who would take care of it. And during that time, there was a lot of pot grows up here. So she really was adamant, didn't really want to go to a pot grow. So she went to our friend Paul and said, hey, um, would you be able to buy this property from us? And he um, went through with that because he's trying to conserve the natural land and take care of the land. And he was in a position to do that. So he bought the property from them kind of with us and a couple of their friends in mind. So this is about 200 acres of land and um, it's parceled. So actually we have Edwin's sister is actually looking at um, potentially moving into the land um, next to us, next to us, which is kind of exciting. But this is just a really gorgeous little piece of land and it actually got spared from the fire, which was kind of cool because 
the man who um, owned this prior had a lot of goats. So the goats were going around and just grazing the heck out of this property and made it look really beautiful and in turn helped save a lot of the trees from the from the fire. All right. One for the goats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Goats win. <laughs> we often like to make a joke of like, how how good of a worker are you like what is your what is your weight in goats like how many goats are you worth like can you do as much work and grazing and like clearing brush and trees as like five goats you know are they are so are the goats still around unfortunately no they yeah they sold them when they sold the property but we're definitely looking at fixing there's a lot of fencing that got um kind of impacted by the fire so we're our plan is to fix the rest of the fencing and then i really want to have baby goats and that's one of my life goals is All to right. be the goat queen <laughs> the goat queen in the tiny house mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> dreams <laughs> Well, uh, one thing that I like to ask all my guests is uh, what are two or three resources? Um, so that could be like books or YouTube channels or, you know, any resources that, that helped you on your tiny house journey uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners. Um, for me personally, I would say YouTube is a great resource. We didn't have any, we have a timber frame book on how to timber frame, but I would say the best resource we had access accessible to us was YouTube. So I literally just watched video on video on video and took notes on all the houses that I liked and what I liked about them. And then basically I consolidated all of those aspects um, to bring into our build and then also things that I didn't want to bring into our build. So there's a lot of great tiny home tours to get a lot from on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. One of our uh, channels that we'll just rep out was um, Jenna's channel, uh, Tiny House Giant Journey. And um, there there was a couple videos that we watched on her channel that we really liked. And then it was fun, too, because they just um, she just interviewed us recently. So it looks like we're going to be featured on their channel in about a month or so. But um, that was a fun workaround because we used um, what was that one video of hers that uh, it's called a. why I hate living in a tiny it's house. It's something about silly like what that. the main drawback about living in a tiny home. And she was our inspiration for putting a back door on our house. So little things like that. I mean, she she talked about how it was really convenient to have a space to come into um, after working a long day. So, yeah, we basically just took a lot of things we enjoyed from other houses. And then that would be the best resource, in our opinion. But um, Claire, well, Claire, now, I mean, it's just. I guess it's a plug. You've just started a website and a blog where you're sharing um, our personal experience. I think that's always nice. I think that's something that because a lot of what we see online even is like the glamour of the tiny home living. And I think one of the most valuable things if somebody's actually taking it on is more like, okay, let's get past the glamour part and let's get into the real. What was like unpleasant? What was where did you snap? Where were the snafus? Where did you hit a wall? And what was really hard? And those real things, I think, are actually some of the most valuable things when somebody's taking on themselves, you know? Yeah, so tinyhomewildadventures.com. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, and people should check that out. I'll, I'll put a link to it on the show notes page as well. So, um, well, Edwin and Clara Bobricki, thank you so much for, for being a guest on the show. I, I know I really pressed you for, for technical details, but I think um, people are going to really love hearing about it. and. Um, 
I'm sure you're going to get questions, so be ready. Yeah, bring them on. Yeah, Ethan, I just wanted to say thank you for what you do. Uh, one of the special things that I did not see coming when building a tiny home was kind of like this community that you enter into. And I just feel like a lot of camaraderie towards you. You know, you've built your own home. You lived in it uh, with your wife for a while. So it's there's, there's just this sense of camaraderie there. And I feel like uh, the community of tiny home goers and livers, liver, ugh, liver, liver, uh, livers, people. people, it's early here. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the, I just really feel like the community is just a really special group of people. And everyone that uh, has gone tiny and that we've met so far has just been it's been a real pleasure. And it just feels really special to be considered part of that group in some way. Awesome. Well. So, yeah. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Official. <laughs> Thank you so much to Clara and Edwin Bobricky for being guests on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to their website and Instagram, and lots of gorgeous photos of their timber-framed tiny home at thetinyhouse.net slash 140. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 140. Also, don't forget to pick up your copy of Color Me Tiny, my signature tiny house coloring book. You can still get it in time for the holidays because it ships fast and free from Amazon. To learn more and order your copy for just $9.99, visit thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color, or just search Color Me Tiny on Amazon. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.